know.com clarity about reality alhamdulillah alhamdulillah wa kafa was salatu was salam ala man la nabiyya ba'da wa ba'd one will notice if they read in the sahih of imam muslim the khutbah Khutbatul Haja. The Khutbatul Haja is known as such because it is the khutbah that is supposed to be read at most times beginning a lecture, beginning a dars, beginning a sitting, or if one is going to conduct a marriage. The opening statement is the glorification of Allah the Exalted as well as sending Salat and Salam upon His Messenger. After this time, one usually recites three ayat. The first of which is in Surah Ali Imran, the third Surah Ayah 101 and 102 where Allah the Exalted says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون You who believe, fear Allah as is his right to be feared and do not die except as Muslims The second ayah that is recited after that is Surah An-Nisa, the fourth Surah, Ayah 1, where Allah says, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ اتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمُ الَّذِي خَلَقَكُمْ مِنْ نَفْسٍ وَاحِدًا مِنْ نَفْسٍ وَاحِدَةٍ وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا وَبَثَّ مِنْهُمَا رِجَالًا كَثِيرًا وَنِسَاءً وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ وَالْأَرْحَامِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلَيْكُمْ رَقِيبًا Humanity, fear your Lord who created you from one soul and created from that one soul its mate and spread out from it many men and women in abundance. Fear Allah who you ask your mutual rights by and also fear Allah by the wombs that bore you. Indeed Allah is a watcher over you. Third and final ayah is at the end of Surah Al-Hazab, the 33rd Surah and it is ayah 70 to 72, excuse me, ayat 70 to 71, where Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu attaqullaha wa qoolu qawlan sadeeda yuslih lakum a'amalakum wa yaghfir lakum zunubakum wamen yuta'illaha wa rasoolahu faqad faza fawzan azeema you who believe, fear Allah, and speak words that are clear and truthful, 
He, Allah, will rectify for you your actions, forgive you your sins. And whoever obeys Allah and his messenger, then he has the great salvation. Surah Hazab, the 33rd Surah, Ayat 70 to 71. Now one will notice that these ayat do not directly mention anything to do with marriage. Although at the khutbah of marriage, these are the main ayat that are recited. Now one might ask, why are ayat used in the khutbah of hajjah for marriage that are not connected at all, seemingly, to the topic at hand? The reason is the following. Although these ayat do not directly mention marriage, they do mention what marriage represents in detail. There are some five things that these ayat have within them that marriage is based upon. They're not all that the marriage is based upon, but they are the great bulk of what marriage is based upon. And by marriage being based upon these things, the family is based upon these things. And by the family being based on these things as bedrock, the marriage, the family, and the society are stable. These five points are the following. The first ayah that we read, Allah said, you who believe, fear Allah as it is right to be feared and do not die except as Muslims. This represents faith being the bedrock of any marriage. And the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, said in a hadith in Sahih al-Jami'ah, a woman is married for her beauty, for her wealth, for her lineage, and for her faith. Indeed, you should marry the one for her faith. So the basis of what a marriage should be, what a marriage should be based on, is the faith. One may have anything else. One may use any other means in getting married. Some people get married for the sake of citizenship to a country. Some get married because they are told to by others because it's the right thing to do. Some get married because of certain social pressures for chosen marriages or for uh, cousin marriages or what have you. But the main foundation stone for marriage, the first thing that goes into the marriage is the faith. That is the basis of the marriage. The second thing is we find marriage being referred to as a sacrament. So if someone should look in Surah An-Nisa, the first ayah, Allah mentions to humanity to fear their Lord who created them from one soul and then created from it its mate. Now, zawj in Arabic also means wife or spouse. So the very beginnings of the human race started with marriage. The very first man and woman were bound in marriage. So marriage is a sacrament. It's holy 
and it's a sacred institution, one in which the human race from its very inception started with. That being that one man is married to a woman or women, and this is done through a marriage contract that is witnessed by Allah and sanctified by his holy decree. The third is if you look at the eye in Surah An-Nisa, it mentions that, and he created from it, meaning that one soul, its spouse or its pair, and he spread out from among them in the earth, many men and women. And the first thing mentioned was men, and then secondly mentioned was women. So you see what's been established is that the man has been given a spiritual authority, a spiritual rank over the woman. And this has been given numerous times. Now, this does not mean that the woman has less value in the sight of Allah or that the woman is not as treasured by Allah. In fact, there is a hadith in Sahih al-Jami'ah where the Prophet ﷺ said, men are the twin halves of women. So what this means is we share with women in their rank in terms of the fact that the woman was created, according to one opinion, from the side of man, not from a rib, but from the side of a man. So they're coming from the twin halves of each other. So it's nothing to do with the inherent value. This is to do with authority and rank. The fourth point is that in this same ayah in Surah Tunisa, Allah says that, and he spread out from among them, meaning men and women, the two of them, many men and women altogether. And fear Allah, who you ask for your mutual rights by, and fear, the wo- fear Allah regarding the wombs that bore you. Here is mentioned that children are being produced from these marital unions. And what that establishes is that children should only be produced within marriage. And so the order that marriage should occur in is the proposal being offered, the proposal being accepted, the sacrament and sanctification of the marriage. Then after that, one may engage in sexual intercourse. And if children happen to come about from that, they come about through the sanctification of a marriage that is sacramental in front of Allah the exalted. This is the order that marriage works in. So there is the marriage. Then one may have sexual intercourse with the spouse if they so choose. And then the children come as a result of that union if the couple decide to have children immediately after whatever their plans may be. The fifth point, general point that can be taken from this is that Family and society are more important than individual rights. Because within these verses, if you look in Surah, Surah Al-Imran, Surah Tunisa, and Surah Al-Hazab, groups of people are being addressed. And who are those groups? They are families and at-large society. So more important than anyone else, it is the family that is being addressed And because families are being addressed, society is then based off of the family structure, which will be 
the married couple, whatever children may result from that, maybe a family patriarch or matriarch, or both of them together, and the structure that comes about from that. All of these things are the bedrock of society. So by these five major points being in place, they establish that the building blocks of society are established and are well-grounded. And if they are well-grounded, the social structure of society stays in place. Men and women know their responsibilities. Children know under whose authority they reside. And they also know the responsibilities they should have to the wider society. These are absolutely crucial in the maintaining of a healthy, safe, and secure society for the safeguarding and welfare of the human beings under that jurisdiction or domain. When the institution of marriage or family is undermined, the rest of society is undermined. Now, often one hears statistics about the destruction of the nuclear family, the collapse of the family in the Anglosphere, meaning the, Eng the English-speaking countries. And the United States, which is the chief perpetrator in most of these areas, usually comes number one on the list or not far behind. But I don't want to use the United States as an example. Rather, what I want to do instead is I want to use the United Kingdom as an example. The reason for this is the following. The United States was built on the fact that people were moving towards individual rights. The United States was a country in its constitution that was built for individuals and built for individual freedom and all the hedonistic pleasures that arise from that. So it would be lopsided and also irresponsible to try to present the woes that are happening in their society, which are the result of the very foundation stone of America. It would be wrong for me to present that because that does not show an original family being intact and then being eroded, a society being eaten by the termites of self-determination or individualism or crass desire to undermine both of those institutions, this would not be demonstrated by using the United States because the foundation of that tree was already eroded at the foundation of the United States. It was already rotten from its beginnings. Now, someone that wants to take a look at that can look at Slave Nation by Blum Rosen, or they can pick up A Little Matter of Genocide by Ward Churchill. These established that from the beginning, the United States had no interest in preserving the foundations that we normally understand for the, the foundations that we normally understand have to be in place for the safeguarding of a society and for family. The United States never claimed in its constitution. If someone reads the United States constitution, there's no claim within that constitution that the country is based on family or society. No such claim has ever been made. The society was specifically mentioned to have been based on individual rights and people. That's the main point. Instead, I'm going to be using the United Kingdom as an example. The reason for this is the United Kingdom is a country which had marriage and family at its foundational level. 
but was gradually eroded by crass individualism and the undermining of marriage and family. And we're now able to see that the decisions that were made years ago, the effects of those are now clearly visible. And I want someone to take a look at those. I would like those listening to consider these, to maybe take it away, to research some of the things that I'm going to be quoting, the books that I'm going to be using, because there is much material that's based around this topic. And the United Kingdom, still bearing a common law, the leftovers of its Christian heritage, is in a very precarious situation where they are on the tipping point of being removed from their current state of being a Christian nation. This is one of the few countries left in the world that still has a church as the head of state. The monarch is the head of state and that the state religion and declared religion is Christianity. This is what's different to the United States or Spain or other countries that have destroyed their common law or have undermined religion to such a degree that it is a plaything. The Christianity of the United Kingdom is being weakened and as a response to that, the rest of the foundation, marriage and society, is also being weakened. Now the only way that we can launch our particular study in a responsible manner is to look at the beginnings of the undermining of family and society. How did this happen? Well, we'll look at the five points again. Faith is the bedrock of the marriage. Marriage is the sacrament and holy institution. Man's authority is established over the woman. Children should only be produced within the marriage sacrament. And family and society are more important than individual rights. We're going to look at the flip side of each one of these because by damaging either one of these, you produce other issues and other matters that are tragic. So the first is faith being undermined by those in charge. The first time this happened was under the authority of Henry VIII. Henry VIII was the last true absolute monarch of the United Kingdom and the first one to undermine the institution of marriage. Now, much has been made about the numerous wives of Henry VIII. People actually memorize couplets and other clever limericks about his life or discussions are had over how corpulent he was or whether he was just corpulent or whether he was morbidly obese, how hideous he was, how wretched of a ruler that he was. These things pale in comparison to the real tribulation that he brought upon his people. Henry VIII desired a divorce from one of his wives. Divorce during this time was, un, was unable to be procured unless one had had the following two things. The spouse of the husband or wife had left the faith or the spouse was unfaithful. These were the two reasons why someone would not carry on in a marriage and why the church at that time, which was Catholic, 
you had the seven rites of the Catholic Church, which were the Latin rite, the Chaldean rite, the Coptic rite, the Syrian rite, and the Latin or Roman rite. A particular rite under discussion now is the Roman rite. Within these churches, divorce was only permitted under those two areas. Henry VIII had mistresses in abundance, and Henry VIII also had the desire to produce a male heir. In the absence of this, he wanted to divorce one of his wives and take another woman who was his mistress as his new wife in the belief that she could probably produce a male heir. The Roman rite of the Catholic Church would not allow this. Henry VIII had a vicious confrontation and ultimately, in the end, decided to draft a new set of church standards that, which led to the Protestant Reformation coming to England. The first was the 1534 Act of Supremacy. The 1534 Act of Supremacy clearly stated that the king himself is the, quote, only supreme head on earth of the Church of England, close quote. By doing this, it enabled him to have control over the church that he had founded, a church that was founded only for the reason of procuring a divorce to produce a male heir and to legitimize a marriage to a mistress that he had been fornicating with. So the 1534 Act was the first, the 1534 Act of Supremacy was the first issue that was used to undermine the institution of marriage. Then in the 1534 Treason Act, Henry VIII declared that anyone who refused to carry out or accept the words in the 1534 Act of Supremacy was to be executed. So not only did he undermine the institution of marriage and destroy the understanding of what faith was, faith is undermined by Henry VIII, by him saying, no, I am in charge of the faith. And because I desire a marriage to produce a male heir to legitimize a relationship that I'm having with a mistress, therefore I must create a new church. I must change the faith that I have in order to get what I want, which was the rise of this rabid and obscene form of individualism, which undermined the faith. And he did so publicly because in order for him to commit a reformation, to change from the Roman rite of Catholicism into what would be known as Anglicanism, he had to undermine his own faith. And this is what he did. Three books that you should try to procure that discuss this in great length are Richard Rex, The Crisis of Obedience, God's Word and Henry's Reformation. This was published in the year 2000. And Richard Rex's other book, Henry VIII and the English Reformation, which was published in 1993. There is a third book which deals with the effect that was had regarding divorce and allowing divorce because Henry VIII, by taking on this divorce, also caused a proliferation in divorces because if he could break free from the bonds of marriage 
with the exception of these two, and then he could transgress beyond those. For a simple matter, if he could break free, then therefore this opened the door to everyone because Henry VIII was the absolute monarch. And people could rightly say, he's the king of this land. If he has decreed this, then we as well want to partake in the same rights that our king has. Because people tend to follow their leaders and reflect their leaders. A very good book that you should try to read, and it will give you a long time being awake every night to read through it, but I still recommend it. It's Karen Lindsay's Divorced, Beheaded, Survived, a feminist reinterpretation of the wives of Henry VIII. I believe these three books are absolutely crucial for your reading list to understand what I'm saying to you now in the next few statements I'm going to make. The second is that marriage came to be viewed as something additional, only on paper. You heard what I mentioned earlier about marriage being the structure, the bedrock. So someone had the marriage first, then they engaged in whatever sexual intercourse or physical contact, and then kids would be the result of that. Children would be the result of that if they so desired. But Henry VIII's actions led to people coming to a conclusion which was actually nascent in what he did, which was the opposite of the bedrock of marriage. People came to the conclusion that the order of things in life should be sex, children, and then marriage. And the decree of Henry VIII, those 500 years ago, up until today, can be seen on the streets of London and Manchester. And when you speak to people in the United Kingdom, in other places, but we're discussing the United Kingdom, they make statements such as, I don't, I'm not in a rush to get married. It's only a piece of paper. A piece of paper doesn't say that I love someone. Marriage is only the icing on the cake. Marriage isn't everything. Marriage will ruin what we have. All of these statements are made because marriage has come to be viewed as something superfluous. Something that is done because they either have to, or it's done because it's expected, or it's done because, quote, we might as well go ahead and get it over with. Now, the third thing that's important is the undermining of the children, because children should only be produced within marriage. But by undermining family and society, children are produced outside of marriage. So you produce single-parent families. And by producing single-parent families, you have the growth of self-identified groups. What we mean by that is 
if you have the opportunity to read or dis or to research into the topic of the teenager, this is a created category of people. There was no such thing as the term teenager prior to the year 1950 and onwards. There were no teenagers. It was a group of people created. And by creating a category of people, they are the people from this age up until this age. Now, in addition to creating teenagers, they've also created tweenies. So these, is, these are the children prior to the 13 to 19 age gap. But to carry on, children are produced outside of marriage because the order for marriage is at the end. Marriage doesn't come first. Marriage is now coming last. So the order of marriage is now sex, children, and then marriage. So it's coming in the wrong order. So by changing the structure of marriage from being paramount to being tertiary, the children that are produced become tertiary themselves. But all of this wouldn't be possible without the rise of another doctrine within the religion of individualism. And this doctrine is feminism. One of the major prophets of feminism is a woman by the name of Gloria Steinem. Now, although she's coming from the United States, her impact is global. She, along with other cohorts, founded a magazine known as Miss Magazine. By founding Miss Magazine, she started a resource for other like-minded feminists who believed that self-identified groups, we are women and we have grievances, were more important than institutions and bodies of individuals. This meant the married couple, this meant the children within a marriage, and this meant society at large. It was more important to have one's rights as a female than it was to be a female bearing your rights defined within the family and within society. So your rights were trans-society, they were trans-family, they transcended them. In her efforts to remove the family and societal structure in her time, she received help from the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA. This can be found in articles in the Village Voice of the 21st of May, 1979, as well as an article in the New York Times from the 4th of July, 1976, entitled, It Changed My Life. Within these articles and her own recent book that she released, one can find that Gloria Steinem received large amounts of funding from the CIA to start up Miss Magazine. And that the funding carried on her entire 
writing career. The Independent Research Service, which she worked with, was directly funded by the Central Intelligence Agency. Now, why is all of this so important? Because the fifth point is no leadership as men and women were declared equals in spite of glaring differences. If men and women are declared as equal in spite of glaring differences, you have no family structure and without a family structure, you have no society. So then what steps in in the place of society? Why would the Central Intelligence Agency and other organizations step in and want to undermine family and society? What would, what would be the benefit of them doing that? The response is the following. If you remove the normal function of marriage, you remove family. This leads to the erosion of society around you. A vacuum is created. That vacuum is filled by the state. The state becomes the family. It takes care of the people. It safeguards them rather than its original role as a custodian or as a carry as as an executive option of carrying out the will of the people. It becomes the family, the parents, and it's thus justified in becoming paternalistic, which if you look at Henry VIII's reign as he loosened the reins of what marriage was and family, he became increasingly not more liberal because of founding his own church, he became more oppressive and more paranoid and more ruthless. Well, the state became the family. As they became the family, the school became the authority. So the state then created schools where the children were supposed to go to and so the state took care of and governed the adults. The adults had sex, produced children, and those children were sent into the schools which acted as an authority to produce and to herd the next generation of adults that would also be dependent upon the state as their authority, as their father, as their big brother. And with women being brought out of the family structure and with the women being brought out and the children being brought out, by this happening, you produced half of the population being taxable. And by having half the population as taxable, this was not sufficient because women and children were indoors. They were either working with their husbands or coming back or on the way to school or whatever activities they had. But the state, by bringing women and children out of the home and the structure that they had, had a new contingent of people to tax, which produced more revenue. So now you have the state as a family. It produces a school to make clones. And if you look at the Department of Education or the local education authorities in the United Kingdom, 
Their job is not to educate your children. It's to produce more clones that they might safeguard and lord over them as they did the, the broken families that came to the state for protection. And then the taxing process begins. And as time goes on, the state becomes more paternalistic, brings out more statutes and laws to protect itself. And as it brings out more laws to protect itself, it becomes more strident and more harsh on the people that are supposed to be, instead of its citizens, its subjects, its serfs, its slaves. And the people, unfortunately, rather than rising up against it, because the state is the only family they know, the only parent they've ever known, the only protector they've ever had from cradle to grave, the state governs their lives. The people actually demand these laws. They applaud them. They approve of them. They venerate them. And this is what's happening in the United Kingdom. With the erosion of the remaining vestiges of a geriatric Christian church. The people applaud it. The 10% of church attendance, the almost atheistic presentation of the Archbishop of Canterbury, his being laid low, the monarchy being used as a spiritual figurehead. Richard Dinkins, saying that he didn't know what happened on the resurrection day, not even believing the tenets of his own religion. The previous archbishop, Rowan Williams, taking part in a druid ceremony, a pagan ceremony, and being declared a priest in their ceremony. The new archbishop, his background not being in religion, but economy and all types of profane and secular arts. Nothing to do with religion. But over time, by destroying the faith, the bedrock of the marriage, you were then able to destroy the family. And by able to, being able to destroy the family, you were able to remake society because you created a vacuum. And this is how the family was destroyed. The only way that people who do not want this to happen to their family can come back from this is by creating small networks or groups within the, the country that they live in, such as the United Kingdom or the United States or, the, or Canada, creating small groups or networks if they're not able to create their own nation or their own population or their own town or city. They have to create their own networks. And by creating their own networks, they can then reintroduce the model that I gave in the beginning. Faith being the bedrock of the marriage. Marriage being a sacrament, a holy institution. Man's authority established over the woman. Children should only be produced within the bonds of marriage. And the family society being more important than individual rights. This is the only way one can reintroduce these principles. Without these principles, you have no society. And without a society, you have no family. And without a family, you have no marriage. And without marriage, you have nothing. It is for this reason that I was asked to give this reminder. 
And I leave you with today the sincere and earnest call to change your way of how you view family, of how you view marriage, and how you view what a society should be. أقول قولي هذا أستغفر الله لي ولكم أستغفر الله إن الله غفور رحيم السلام عليكم No clarity about reality see more at no.com